Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. I really appreciate Pastor allowing us to come and hosting our trailer. We are planning on leaving out tomorrow morning to go to the Baptist Mid-Missions Family Conference tomorrow, so we got a bit of a drive ahead of us tomorrow. But I asked my wife to come up with me this morning uh, to share our testimony so you get to know a little bit more about us before we present our ministry tonight. And so Rebecca will start, and then I'll go. Hi, I'm Rebecca. It's great to be here. Great to get to meet a few of you yesterday, and we're looking forward to meeting more of you today. Um, I grew up in a pastor's home in Minnesota. My parents had 11 kids, so I have five older siblings and five younger siblings. I'm right in the middle. And we were in Wells for most of my childhood years, just down the road from Granada, Minnesota. So that's how I knew Pastor Goodwill. On Sunday nights, once a month, we didn't have a service at our church, and we would often go up to Pastor Goodwill's church. He had kids our age, and Hannah was my age, and we had a um, great time with them. We really missed them when they moved away. When I was three years old, my five-year-old sister got saved, and she started witnessing to me. She was very excited about the gospel, and she had a little heathen living in her bedroom with her. <laughs> so she was um, out to share the gospel with me and introduce me to her Savior. It was the first time I remember hearing the whole gospel from anyone. I know as a baby and as a child, I probably heard it many, many times. But when I was three, she sat down and explained the gospel and said that Christ had died for me and he wanted to forgive me of my sins if I would just repent. And I was taking a nap on Sunday afternoon, or supposed to be taking a nap, thinking about what she had said. And I crawled out of my crib, ran out to my mom, who was washing dishes on Mother's Day, and said, Mom, I think I need to get saved. And she said, Rebecca, what God wants three-year-old little girls to do is obey their parents. And we told you to take a nap, so back in bed with you. And she put me back in my crib. And I... Um, laid there in my crib looking through the slats, I remember it very vividly, and asked Christ to come into my heart and save me. It's one of my earliest memories that I can pinpoint how old I was and where I was. And I'm so thankful that God chose to save me before I remember really anything else. My whole life, all I've known is walking with him, and that's the best life we can live on this earth, and looking forward to living that life in heaven someday, too. When I was... 13, we moved to Alaska, we had a huge life change. We took over a BMM church plant, and it was very multicultural where we landed in that corner of Anchorage. <clears throat> I taught in the public school there after college for a while. There were many, many different ethnicities represented. A lot of times I'd have 20 students in my classroom, and two of them were white, and the rest were everything else under the sun. Many, many immigrants come up to Alaska. I don't know why it's really cold, <laughs> but that's where they landed. So that um, was a great opportunity for me to see the world there in that corner of Anchorage. I went to college at Maranatha Baptist University where I met Caleb. Um, he came my senior year and we got to know each other serving in a small local church. We ran the Wednesday night kids program, Kids for Truth, and I drove us back and forth with a couple other students in my car every Wednesday. And the, one of the last weeks I was there at college, the car died on Guy's side of campus dropping the boys off, and it just didn't turn back on again. We tried a few different things and didn't know what happened to it, and I was going back up to Alaska, so I didn't know what to do with the car. 
So I sold it to Caleb because he's really optimistic and pretty mechanical. And he was like, oh, I can get this thing to work. And I said, that's great. We'll keep in touch. When you get it working, let me know and I'll mail you the title because I was a little skeptical it was going to work again. <laughs> so the bad news is he never got the title, but the good news is I got his title because we did stay in contact <laughs> and it worked out really well for us. <laughs> um, we were married in 2017 and we went to Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. When we went there, we knew that God was calling us overseas. Um, we felt led to work in a creative access nation, which Caleb's going to talk about in Sunday school today. And we um, spent a lot of time in seminary seeing where God would open a door for us to find a visa in a creative access nation. And we're very thankful that he has led us to Myanmar. And um, Myanmar has had open and closed doors constantly since COVID, but right now they're accepting visa applications and processing them, so it's looking really positive that we could get there by the beginning of next year, hopefully. So Caleb will go ahead and tell you a little more about that. Yeah. Thanks, Rebecca. I'll share a little bit about my background, and then we'll jump into the Sunday school lesson. I was saved at the age of seven through the influence of my cousin. He was a Christian, and we both grew up in large Christian families. I knew the gospel. Um, I knew that I was a sinner, but I never personally made it my own until he personally pressed me with a decision. Caleb, have you ever accepted Christ, he said. He had just been to VBS and was excited about the gospel, and um, he himself was a Christian. And it was then and there that I realized that I had all the head knowledge, but I never made it my own. So I prayed and accepted Christ, but I doubted for a long time whether I'd said the right words, had enough faith, whether I'd done enough. It was all centered on my performance. And it was only through the study of God's word that I began to grow in my knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done. Our church had a Bible quizzing program, and we were memorizing the book of Ephesians. And I was walking through Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, memorizing the verses. And it began to dawn on me all that Christ had done. It's not a work of my own. It's all of him. And that gave me such confidence in what Christ had done. And it dispelled my doubts, but it also gave me a love for the Bible. I wanted to study the Bible more somewhere. So I went to Maranatha Baptist Seminary, or Baptist uh, University, later the seminary, and it was there, I met Rebecca, you heard that story, and God used my time at Maranatha to open my eyes toward foreign ministry. I took a trip to China as a freshman and absolutely loved the trip. I wanted to do that the rest of my life. And not necessarily in China, but I wanted to go somewhere overseas to, to, to serve God. So in my senior year, I went to Kyrgyzstan, where I explored the idea of business as missions. And it, using business to get into creative access countries where you can't go as a traditional missionary. And God had closed the door to Central Asia during my seminary years when I went to Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary after Maranatha Seminary. And it was there we began searching where would God have us serve in a creative access country. We wanted to be assisting the churches there. We wanted to be with partners. We didn't want to go out and do our own thing. And we wanted to be working with uh, unreached people groups that were in a cl closed country. So we began praying, and God opened up Myanmar as an option in 2020. My brother was there as a translator. He was working. Uh, he had been there for five years at that time. And I took a trip there to survey the work. And it was during, right before COVID. God knew the timing. I didn't. But as I came home, all the airports were shutting down, and things were going crazy here in the States. But God used that trip 
to open our eyes to see how our skills and how he's been training and molding us fits well with the ministry of Myanmar. I'll talk more about the ministry of Myanmar tonight, but today I want to uh, talk to us about missions and how we can be involved in reaching the unreached people groups. Give me one second while I set up my computer here. <clears throat> So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This will just be our, an introductory verse. Have you ever been asked the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And how would you answer that? Most people would talk about Christ's life, death, and resurrection, how we need to believe in Jesus to be saved. And that would be right. And Romans 1.16 uses the gospel in this way. He says, Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul is referring to the gospel, the essentials of what we need to be saved. This is what I would call the, the narrow definition of the gospel, and it's, it's certainly how the New Testament uses the word gospel. But there's also a broader definition for the gospel. The, the gospel simply means the good news. And it can, reply, can refer to the entire good news of all that God is doing throughout the Bible. So I want to begin this morning in our Sunday School lesson, before we talk about creative accidentations, look at what God has been doing from the beginning of creation. The broader definition of the gospel includes God's desire for all people to know him and to worship him. This began in the Garden of Eden. Now look at here, this, this short, um, we'll give a timeline of the gospel here. Defining the gospel as God's promise to redeem mankind after he fell into sin. In the Garden of Eden, we know the story well. But God said in Genesis 3.15, And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it or he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God here is giving the very first promise of redemption, of good news, that there's going to be someday someone who's going to reverse the curse and destroy the power of sin. That's strange. I'm sorry. Let me try one more time to connect, and if this doesn't work, we might be lost. All right, thank you for your patience here. So this is what we call the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel, talking about Christ who's going to crush or bruise the head of the serpent, Satan. And Satan is going to bruise his heel in Christ's death, but it's not going to be a fatal wound. He's not going to ultimately succeed over Christ. This is a great promise and a hope that they cling to, God's people cling to, for the rest of time until Christ comes. So all leading up to the cross, from, from Genesis chapter 3 up until um, Jesus comes in, in Matthew, we are hoping for this Messiah, this person who's going to reverse the curse. And God chooses Israel and Abraham and, and uh, Jacob as a, as a people for his purposes to place his name so that they would be, as Isaiah 49 summarizes, and I will make thee, talking about Israel, a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. 
God's purpose for choosing Israel and placing his name and dwelling with them in the temple and the tabernacle and all the covenants, that's the purpose was to show the world what it was like to be in a relationship with God, that they would be a light to the world around them. This was their purpose. They were hoping for the gospel. So God put the good news through Israel. They were to be the good news bearers. And ultimately they failed. And we see that over and over, how they, they rejected God's promise, broke the covenant, went into exile in Babylon. And you're, at the end of Malachi, you're, look, you're wondering, is there any hope for Israel? Is there any hope for the world? But at the end of Malachi, there's a promise that one is going to come who's going to uh, be the Messiah, who will undo the curse. So Jesus comes, and this verse we know well, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here is the gospel as we commonly know it and refer it to. The, the good news that Jesus Christ was born as a virgin who lived a perfect life. He died a, a death we couldn't die. That In our place, he stood condemned. And then he rose again, giving us life for all who believe on him. That is the good news. And then after this, is just the spread of the good news. When we talk about the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth, we're talking about people hearing about Jesus and being called to believe on him. Jesus commands us to spread this good news around the world. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go therefore and teach or make disciples of all nations. But this can only be done in conjunction with the church. So this is where Jesus established the church. He says, baptizing them and teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded thee. That's the local church right there. And then Acts 1.18, he gives us th this great uh, commandment. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We have a job given to us by the Lord in his last command before he left earth that we would make this gospel known to all the world. And then the, the Bible ends with Revelation talking about how this good news has spread and all people have heard and around the throne. This is the setting here. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, every tongue, and people, and nation. Here, the end of the Bible ends with Jesus' return, the rapture, Christ's return, and then the recreation of the new heaven and the new earth. And mankind now dwelling in perfect harmony with God in Revelation 21, 22. And it's every tribe, every people group, every language, every ethnicity is going to be worshiping God around the throne. This is exciting to see that the task God has given us won't fail. It's going to succeed. We have, we have a chance to be in a part of something that will never fail. So here it is. This is the gospel and how it originated and how it is spread. But I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk about how has the gospel, how has evangelical Christianity spread in the last 50 so years, since 1960. I've borrowed this PowerPoint from joshuaproject.net. They have done incredible research and gathered the data. So this isn't my work, um, but I, I talk about the evangelical Christianity, those that believe in the, the gospel, the fundamentals of the faith, and, and what it means to be a Christian. 
Now, here are some maps I'm going to show us for where we were in 1960 and where we are today. This is the, the world in 1960. The green are those the areas that are more densely Christian. They're, they're represented by color and height. And so the, the, the higher they are, the, color, the deeper green they are, the more Christians there are. Now, if you notice something, look in, in India and China. It's not very visible there, but there is very little gospel presence in these two countries. Let me, let me draw on this a little bit here. So look at these world, look at these areas. There's very, very little gospel presence over there. And you see these areas are very high. And there's down in there in Kenya and Tanzania and Europe, of course. So now let's advance forward. This is 1965, 1970, 1975, 1980. You see the areas that are increasing here. 1985, 1990 is when communism really opened up in China and they began allowing Christians to come. And you see China for the first time having a significant portion of Christians among them. Now look at how this advances. 1995 and 2000, 2005, now India has a large presence of Christians among them. And 2010, this is the last map that I have. We don't have, I don't have more current data, I wish. But here is where the gospel has now advanced to. You see those areas now. Look at what they were before, 1960 and 2000. Oh, let's go back here. So there it is, 2010, 1960. What a difference that, that Christianity has made in those, these, these last years. It has been incredible. Now, that is encouraging. This should be exciting to us, what God has been doing in these last 50, 60 years. This brings me to three conclusions here. Christianity has been spreading, but it also means that the world is becoming more religious. They're more open to talking about religious matters than ever before. Since the fall of communism in the 1880s in Russia and China, um, or the China opening up to more religions, people are looking for something beyond themselves. With the collapse of modernism that only look to the here and now and the monetary money and what you can collect on this earth, the postmodern culture said no experience matters. And they begin looking for an experience and they begin searching for religion and meaning beyond themselves. They begin searching for purpose. People begin turning to drugs, sex, and, and pornography, and all these other things for something transcendent beyond themselves. They begin turning to yoga and Eastern mysticism, looking for an experience. The world is becoming more religious. They say in 2020, the vast majority of people worldwide, it's 80, 88%, profess to adhere to a religion. It was up from 80% in the 70s. That's a big increase of people that adhere to original religion. They claim some type of religion, not Christianity, but some type of religion. This is a Buddhist statue in Myanmar that I took in 2020. But this represents how people around us are actually more willing to talk about some type of spirituality. And you'll hear people say, oh, I'm a spiritual person, but they'll not claim to be a Christian or even adhere to a denomination. The world is becoming more religious. We need to take advantage of this. We need to be opening up the conversation with our neighbors and talking to them about the gospel because people are looking for purpose and meaning in life. But the second conclusion I draw from this data is that the world is also becoming more diverse. 
with urbanization and immigration throughout the world, people are moving to large cities. Sh the populations around the world are shifting, which also means that Christianity is spreading as people move to different regions and countries and cities. The world is becoming more diverse. There's now fewer places than ever before where there are zero Christians. There's now, in most every area of the world, there's at least some Christian presence. And that means our role as, as, a, as a missionary country, sending missionaries, should be increasingly working with the nationals that are there, the Christians that are already in those countries. As the world becomes more diverse, we need to take a more supportive role as there's fewer, fewer frontier people groups. There are some countries, South Korea and uh, some Brazil even, that they say they're sending more missionaries per capita than America. Some of these areas have now had Christianity so long that they're now sending missionaries to other parts of the world. That's exciting to see. But the third conclusion is that religious freedom is actually on the decline. This seems contradictory to what we just saw with how Christianity has been exploding in the last 60 years. But it's true because, and it's always been true, that people are intolerant of the absolute claims of Christianity. So governments and people groups are more restrictive and intolerant of Christianity than ever before. Religious visas are harder to get than ever before. Especially with COVID happening, countries have shut their doors to all but those quote-unquote essential businesses, meaning it's harder for traditional missionaries to get into these countries. And governments are now requiring a reason why you want to enter their country, a reason that will benefit them, not just that you want to come. Especially secular nations and Muslim nations are increasingly hostile toward Christianity. I want to here look at this verse that shows us that this is not a new thing. It said, and they, they called them, this is referring to the Pharisees, referring to Peter and John, and they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. This has always been the case. There have always been rulers that have restricted us talking about Jesus. This is not new, ever since Christ died. Now, World Watch keeps track of those countries where it's most difficult. And they put out a map just recently on the 50 countries where it's most difficult to follow Jesus. There's more countries than on this map, but these are the countries that are, where it's the hardest to become a Christian, where it's hardest to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Now look at this map and the areas that you see. You see the Middle East, you see China, you see the Northern Africa primarily. Those are the major areas of the world where it's hard to be a Christian. Now look at this map compared to the areas of the world where there's the least gospel presence. Now, on this map, there's several colors. Those that are in red are those what we call unreached people groups. This is a map from joshuaproject.net in 2020. Now, the red dots, every dot represents a different people group, a different ethnicity, a different language, a different person. Someday, all these ethnicities are going to be around the throne. Every tribe, tongue, and language will be around the throne we saw. And these are those people groups. The red dots represents those people groups that are less than 2% evangelical. And by statistically, they say that these people groups are unlikely to ever encounter a Christian in their lifetime because there's so few Christians or churches among them. So those are the red dots. The green dots are those areas of the world where there's a higher percentage of Christians. Those people groups where the dominant majority adhere to Christianity. Now you notice what areas of the world are unreached, where there's very, very little gospel presence. It matches 
the areas of the world where it's most difficult to be a Christian. Those areas where you can't go as a traditional missionary. Look at that. All of these countries are restrictive to missionaries. We need to be thinking of ways that we can get into these restrictive countries so that we can share the gospel. Now, I have a short video. I don't know if this video is actually going to play. It's not going to play. But this is, uh, you can go watch this on the internet, World Watch posted a video of these restrictive access countries with testimonials of people and what they experienced and, and when they came to Christ and the persecution they faced. It's a, it's a good documentary with a short three-minute video of people's testimonies. And you can see then in real life what it's like to be a Christian in these countries. So these cre- creative access countries are cr- simply countries where you cannot get a religious visa. You can't go as traditional, a traditional missionary. So you've got to think of some creative way around or other than the religious visa. You've got to use a student visa, a business visa, or some type of uh, retirement visa they offer. What are ways that we can get into these countries? Now, I want to remind us, pause right now to remind us that this promise from God, he says, ye are of children, are of God, little children, excuse me, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is greater, and He can overcome these barriers. We might think that it's impossible to enter countries like North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, but God is greater, and He is doing His work with and behind these scenes. So here, let me give you a couple ways that we maybe could think about getting into some of these countries, ways that we can go if we can't go as missionaries. These are visa options and people that I know either personally or through a, another friend that have used these reasons to get into creative access countries. Students, translators, technicians, nurses, doctors, business owners, engineers, coaches, software developers, web developers, even coffee roasters, chicken farmers, business trainers, import-export traders, orphanages, publishing houses. All of these are options and visa options and business options to get into these creative access countries. You can use the skills that God has given you to get into areas where missionaries cannot traditionally go. There's a lot of gospel work going on that we don't know about simply because they're not traditional missionaries. So I want to walk through a couple of these people that I know and am connected to or know about that have been doing this. I want to give you a vision for how this has been happening currently, right now. And maybe how God could use you and your skills to reach those unreached people groups in creative access countries. So I traveled with, this, uh, with Ryan in Kyrgyzstan, and he, he had a Bible degree. He didn't have any business experience, but he started a business during his seminary years so that he could one day go to Central Asia. And when he got there, he just set up a very simple business plan of transporting people back and forth from the airport. It's now developed into a larger uh, tourist um, rental um, business where he rents out vehicles, sets up tours, and is very is successful. And he's having a gospel ministry among the, the Kyrgyz people that are dominantly Muslim and they're resistant to evangelical Christianity. And there's mosques in every corner. He's able to live there. And this is his business, Iron Horse Nomads. You can look it up on the internet. But Ryan is somebody who's doing this right now or how about Mickey and Trina? These are people that only had a high school degree, but they had, they had no formal Bible training, but they had skills as artisans in pottery. 
and they started a business, I think, in Wisconsin, and they began using their business for the glory of God. They realized the need of Mongolia. They traveled to Mongolia, set up a business, now have a print shop, and have learned to expand their business into several other areas. They're doing business training with nationals. They have now started three different businesses. They're sponsoring six other couples to come to Mongolia through their business visas. These are people that are getting into these creative access countries where you can't go as a missionary. And this is their Mongolia missions um, company. These are friends of ours on deputation right now, TJ and Anna. They have a, he, I think he has a computer science degree from Bob Jones. And he started a software business when, after he graduated from college. And this was now supporting himself entirely. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me again. He was supporting himself entirely off of his business. And he had a vision all along to use his business in Mongolia. Oh, I don't have his, his business logo there. But he and Anna will be supporting themselves entirely to live in Mongolia, work alongside a missionary who's, who has another business option there. And they're going to be doing gospel ministry in a majority Muslim nation. And Paul and Janessa, these are a couple that are living in Uzbekistan. He's got a Bible degree. He had no experience in business. But he learned to teach English as a second language in China and then used that to work with the Uyghur people. When he got kicked out of China, he began thinking of another way. So he got an agricultural degree. And now he's working in Uzbekistan, running his business called Charters, which is actually another tourist business where he's working with business nationals coming into the country. And he's doing gospel ministry among the Uzbeks. There's a lot of people. I want to end, though, with one more here. My brother Joel Wagner and Sarah have been in Myanmar for about, they were there for five years. COVID kicked them out. Well, actually, they came out on furlough. They couldn't get back in. But he's got a Bible degree. He's got a seminary tra translation degree. He had no experience as a business owner. But God had called him to work in Myanmar full time. So he began thinking, how could he live there in Myanmar and do Bible translation work? So he established and started a hotel. He's not running it. The nationals are running it. But he set it up, got it situated, and got a business visa for the hotel that now sponsors his visa. Now, Myanmar is an interesting case. So you'll learn a little bit more tonight. But they're open to gospel ministry. It's not illegal to proselytize. Um, but it is, it is difficult to be a Christian because the Buddhists are very resistant. It's a social persecution more than a government persecution. So the government knows what we're doing. They know we're hosting um, Bible translation work going on here. So that's not a secret. But what we couldn't do is come in as a traditional missionary and just say, we, we want to apply for a religious visa. That's not a thing. You have to have a reason, a business reason. So they established this hotel. In, in America, it's Bibles International Myanmar Society. In Myanmar, it's Best in Myanmar Services, and it's a hotel that sponsors us to come work for BIMS. And when... And this will be our way to get into Myanmar. We'll, we'll work for BIMS doing whatever they tell us to do, which will be gospel ministry, working with the pastors and the nationals. They don't need us to run the hotel, but we'll be employees of the hotel. So these are people that are in Creative Access Nations doing this. Now here's a helpful reminder. There's a difference between the unreached and unreachable. There's no country, no people that is beyond God's power to reach them, so we need to go. We need to break down these barriers and use the business skills God has given you or will develop in you 
to reach the people. So let me end here with several helpful ways that we could get involved. First, simply pray. This might sound redundant, but we need to be reminded of this all the time. We need to pray. We need to pray for those that don't have any access to the gospel. Download the Joshua app, the Joshua Project app, or Operation World app. Every day, they'll give you another people group that don't have access to the gospel. They'll give you how, how unreached they are. They'll tell you how, what religion they are. They'll tell you how, even help you how to pray for them. It's very uh, a good, helpful app. You can email, talk, or message missionaries that are there in these countries and ask how you can pray for them. And then pray for someone that you know that is unsaved around you. Do you know there's an entire generation of Americans that don't know the name of Jesus beyond just a curse word? They've not grown up near church, nor near Christians. Maybe not in your area. Maybe this area is um, more conservative, more uh, Christianized, but there are areas of the world where this is true. Areas of America where this is still true. So pray. Pray for those around you. And then second, consider what your role might be. Might be. The Great Commission wasn't given to pastors and missionaries to fulfill. It was given for every one of us, for all of us to be involved. This was a command that Jesus gave to all disciples to teach to all other disciples. How are you going to use your skills to build Christ's church, whether here or abroad? God doesn't call everyone to travel overseas, but he calls everybody to be a part of this ministry. Let me connect one last time, and then we'll, we'll give up. It might not work. It says it's connecting. All right. Well, I'll end with this last one here. Open your mouth. Just simply open your mouth. There's no replacement, not prayer, not thinking, not wanting to be involved in this, that can replace simply doing what God has told you to do. It's easier to talk to others about, talk to God about others than it is to talk to others about God. And how sad that is. And it's true for my life as well. We need to take the initiative to just open our mouth. We're not, I'm not eloquent. I don't always know the words to say. I don't always know how to, how to help them understand the gospel. But God said in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to just do what God has told us to do by opening our mouth with our neighbors. We may feel like it's not the right time, but pray. Use the, rely on the Holy Spirit to lead you into the right moment and build relationships with these people. Actually, it did connect. God has said that he's going to build his church and it will succeed. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And so that is encouraging and exciting. What God will do, we're not going to get it connected. But that was what God had laid on my heart today. And I hope that you consider how you might be involved in foreign ministry or ministry here so that those that don't hear could hear and come to Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thankful for what you have done in revealing yourself to us through Jesus Christ, through your word. And we have the gospel. We have Jesus Christ. For those of us that are saved, we have been born again. We have the good news inside of us. I pray that we would be bold about sharing that with others around us. Be bold about pressing 
uh, beyond these, these boundaries that seem like you, we can't in, enter these countries, we can't cross these boundaries, but your power is greater, and we know that you can and you will have every tribe, every tongue, every language around your throne worshiping you, for you are worthy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Absolutely.